Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. The title of the message is True to Worship. As you know, we have been in a series all summer on truth, love, and worship. Uh, We've uh, spoken of the truth of God's Word and how that God is true and and uh, so on and then we moved into the uh, portion where we dealt with love and now we're in the final portion of the series on truth love and worship and we've already had a call to worship today we're going to look at what it means to be true to worship next Sunday we will look at the attitude of worship and then finally we will finish our series on the 18th of August with the uh, sermon titled truth love and worship. And we will, Lord willing, end the series then. I say Lord willing because the sermon's already done. If I'm still here on the 18th, then we will do that on the 18th. A little boy stood on the sidewalk in front of his house waiting for the bus. A well-meaning man walked by and gave him some gentle instruction. Hey, pal, if you're waiting on the bus, you need to move to the corner. That's where the bus stops for passengers. It's okay, said the boy, I'll just wait here. The bus will stop for me. Well, the man assured the boy that he knew where the bus would stop, but the boy never moved. He just stood right there on his place at the sidewalk. Surprisingly, the bus came and stopped exactly where the little boy was standing. The little boy hopped on the bus, and the man heard him say to the bus driver, Hi, Dad. When your daddy is the bus driver, you don't need a bus stop. When my sons were young, they never called for an appointment before stopping in my office to see me. They still don't. Neither do we have to wait for an appointment to worship the Lord. Now, this is the Lord's day, and we come to God's house to worship. But when we come to God's house for worship, we should also leave God's house in worship. And today we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ modeling for us worship. He models other things as well, but he most definitely models worship. The man Christ Jesus was true in worship to the heavenly Father. And and I'm going to talk a, a lot today about the man Christ Jesus, and I will explain what I mean in just a moment. But we should understand that Jesus Christ is unlike any other being that's ever walked on this earth in that he was the God man. Now he's entering into a time of personal worship with his father and he set out to do something that, um, that other people have done. But he is in a unique position as he goes away after his baptism for a time of fasting. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city 
and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered to him, Again it is written, You shall not live, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angel came, angels came, and were ministering to him. Part of the of worship is the resolve to stay true to God. If I'm going to worship God, I should stay true to God. If I'm going to give my vow in marriage to my wife, if you're going to give your vow in marriage to your husband or your wife, then part of that, that relationship is to stay true to that relationship. Jimmy Funches is here today with his uh, fiance, and they will soon make their vows to each other. And those are not words at an altar, and those are commitments that you will make. And part of keeping that commitment is the determination, I'll stay true to you. If we're going to worship God, we've got to stay true to the Lord. John tells us that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. In fact, the passage where that is taken, we will use for the next two Sundays as our text. While insincerity may be an option in some relationships in life, there is no room for it in the worship of God. Romans 12, 9 says that our love is to be sincere. It is to be genuine. Many have used the explanation of the artist repairing a, a sculpture by um, using a, another substance when the imperfection was shown. Back in the day when artists made sculptures, they sometimes made mistakes, and to correct these mistakes when making a sculpture of stone, they would use a colored wax to fill in the mistake. A truly great sculpture was said to be without wax, to be sincere without wax. That term went on to be used for anything that was authentic and, and flawless. It's said to be the root word of the word I just used, sincere, although there's some question about the etymology of, of the word. However, the illustration is true. That is that there are times when a sculpture was made and it looked better than it was. That can't be the way that our worship is. Our worship can't look better than it is. It's unfortunate and it's wrong if it does. I've said it more than once, but I want to emphasize that our text is a demonstration of the man Jesus. So all that we see in Jesus today is of the man Jesus, the example Jesus, the one who was like you and me in his life. And so he became our example. Now you must understand 
that he's not a 50-50 being, that he wasn't 50% man and 50% God. Unlike any other creation ever, he's 100-100. Jesus Christ was and is 100% God. He's as much God as the Father is God. He's as much God as the Holy Spirit is God. When he walked on this earth, he was 100% man. We worship his deity and receive instruction and inspiration from his humanity. To that end, we want to see how Jesus successfully worshiped the Lord. And it started with this. He was focused on worship. He would not be dissuaded from worship. Life is filled with distractions. In addition to the normal detours and roadblocks that that life brings, the Christian can be assured that Satan will do what he can to move our focus from God and to ourselves. Satan wants to break our focus. He wants us to move off of seeing the Lord and keeping our eyes on him, and he wants to move it toward ourselves and toward others, and, and he wants to change our our intense focus on, on God. There are times that, that God actually allows this, but he does so for his purposes. Such was true with Job. God allowed Satan to, to go after Job, if you will. A lot of times we feel like when trouble comes, this can't be of God. But sometimes it is actually of God. So it was on this Mount of Temptation, for Jesus. Jesus was there because he was led to be there. The Father led him to that place. Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It's interesting that this temptation immediately followed the baptism of Jesus where the Father had spoken from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom in who I am well pleased. The Father already knew the character of the Son. He needed no confirmation. He didn't allow Satan to tempt Jesus because the Father needed to know if, if his Son Jesus was going to stay true. The point of leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted was to pronounce to Satan and to all the earth that Jesus was more than a conqueror. And it was to furnish to you and me an inspiration, an example. There was a reason that Jesus was tempted. And it wasn't just to fill in a day. And it wasn't because the Father doubted him. It was to show Satan, and it was to show you and me. Sometimes the greatest challenges to our faith comes right after huge victories, huge victories. And then comes a challenge. <clears throat> Satan is always trying to trip us up, and the Father is always proving us, giving us a chance to be proven. When you find yourself in times of trial, please understand that God knows us <clears throat> and even allows the tough situations in life to come our way. We're not responsible for the circumstance, but we're certainly accountable 
for our response. James wrote in chapter 1 and verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, as Jesus was focused on worship, he was focused because he was led. And actually, during the, the course of this focusing, he was fed. He was fed a, a different way, but he went there for the purpose of fasting. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And we know that the angels ministered to him. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus was following the leadership of the Spirit from the waters of baptism directly into a time of fasting. Now, what is fasting? I've always thought fasting was an unusual word. It doesn't sound like what it is. I guess you're in a hurry to eat at the end or something. I I don't know, but fasting sounds like something else. Fasting is the refusal of food or certain kinds of food for a period of time. When you have blood work, they tell you, now you should fast for 12 hours before you have the blood work. That means don't eat anything. Or they'll certainly say, don't eat anything after midnight uh, if you're going to have blood work. The purpose of Jesus' fast was not physical. It was not a practical fast. It was purely spiritual. He fasted for 40 days for the purpose of worshiping the Father, being attuned with the Father. Now, I've never personally set out on a 40-day fast, although I do have some friends who have done so. I have one friend down in Texas. He is one of the best guys that I know. And I mean, he has done some things in his life and ministry that are just absolutely hilarious. And he didn't mean to do them. I'll give you an example before I tell you about his fasting. He and his associate pastor were walking through a Texas neighborhood on the sidewalk. And they were, uh, they were going door to door and visiting with people. And as they walked along, there was a lady who was mowing her yard. She was, didn't have a lot of clothes on, just to to put it uh, bluntly. She was, I think, mowing in her bathing suit. And I'll stop your imaginations right there. But she was mowing in her bathing suit. And my friend Gary was just very modest and is very modest. And so as they walked along and she was over here and the man from church was here, Gary turned his head to talk to him so that he wouldn't uh, be staring at the woman. And when he did, he tripped and fell and landed at her feet. And uh, that's my friend Gary. Uh, Gary went on a 40-day fast one time. And uh, as he uh, was fasting, he went to visit again and And he was in the home, and he began to pray for the family. At the close of of their meeting, he began to pray for the family. And as he was praying, his visitation partner noticed that he began to pray for uh, 
for presidents that God would lead them and guide them and keep them safe uh, from harm. But he only prayed for dead presidents. He prayed for Roosevelt, and he prayed for Eisenhower, and he prayed for Truman. And he went through this litany of, of presidents who were already dead. The man was, was hungry, and uh, I think he needed maybe to, a chicken leg, just to be honest with you. He needed something to end his fast. And just to put the, the icing on the cake, when he left the house and he walked to the front door, he opened the, the coat closet and walked in there instead of out on the, uh, the front porch. So I tell you that fasting can have an effect on your mind and well-being. As for Jesus, his fast was led of the Holy Spirit. And he didn't pray for dead presidents, and he didn't go through some of those things, and he didn't open a closet door and walk out the closet door. But I will tell you that, that he was very, very hungry. The nourishment that he received was from the Holy Spirit, and he remained focused on the work that he had come uh, to do and, and to stay true to the Father. And in the course of staying focused on worship and being fed of the Holy Spirit, being led of the Holy Spirit there, we also discover that Jesus was well-read in Scripture, as you might think that he, he would be. As Jesus came to the end of his fast, Satan tempted him to fall short of his goal. And to this, Jesus gave this Bible answer in verse 3 and 4 of our text. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the human sense, Jesus focused on worship that was born in part by a devotion to Scripture and an understanding of Scripture. It's far more likely that we will keep our focus on the Lord when we're grounded in the Word than when we're not grounded in the Word. That's why the series that we've been bringing is called Truth, the Word of God, Love, uh, the Heart of God, and Worship, our heart toward God. And Jesus knew the truth, and He was able to quote back the truth of the Word of God. To worship God in spirit and in truth, we must know the truth, and God's Word is truth. So Jesus remained focused on worship. He was true to worship in that He was focused on it. Here's the second thing. He was faithful to worship. Verse 5, then the devil took Him to the holy city and set Him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Satan tries to move Jesus from his purpose by moving him from his faithful calling as the God-man. He wants him to, <clears throat> to step outside of what he was called and on this earth to do. He wanted to have that sinless life broken by his personal pride. If he cannot dissuade Jesus from breaking his fast, maybe he can tempt him <clears throat> to forget his mission long enough to self-destruct 
long enough to not be able to be the sinless sacrifice for you and me. Now, you have to remember, Satan has Jesus at the most vulnerable moment. If he is going to fail the Father, surely it's going to be now. This is quite amazing when you think of the, of the difficulties that Jesus faced, yet he remained faithful to the Father. First of all, he resisted the temptation. Satan basically dared Jesus to prove himself. Our flesh finds it hard to resist a a challenge. We like to to have challenges and we want to win and we want to make sure that, that we come out on top. And when we're embarrassed, we want to save face. And when we're put down, we want to rise up. And when we're told we can't do something, we want to prove that we can do something. Pride has a way of bringing out in us a sense of self-destruction, a sense of I'll show you. And here, Satan has Jesus at his most vulnerable moment at the end of the 40-day fast. And you've got the man Christ Jesus who was very, very hungry. And Satan comes to him and he tries to get him to end his fast prematurely, and, and that is, is rebuffed. And now he says, look, prove yourself. Prove that you're really the Son of God. And now he rebuffs that as well. He resisted the temptation. Though personally and most definitely, Satan was molesting him. He was molested him. Satan was doing everything he possibly could to provoke and to and destroy Jesus. Have you ever been in a time when there was a significant effort to provoke or to destroy you? Can you think back on a time in your life when someone who didn't like you or wanted what you had, whatever it may be, tried to destroy you? They tried to to push you into something. Sometimes we can face those situations in life, but never to the degree that Jesus had to resist Satan, but in our mind and life to a a significant degree. Many people abandon their resolve to be faithful to God during these times because they doubt his faithfulness to them. I've got a really good friend right now who is going through the valley. And you would think this person had already been through the worst valley that anybody could possibly face. And this person finds themselves again right back in to the depths of it. Now, it's in those times when we feel molested. It's in those times that we feel like God doesn't really have our best interest at heart. Some of you may be in that mindset right now. You found your way to church, but you don't want to be here because you're a little mad at God. You don't understand why God would put you through all that you've been through. And I don't understand it either. I don't know it either. But I will tell you this, that when Jesus, knowing even what was ahead for him, 
was put through this time of of molesting and, and opposition from Satan, he stayed true. What would it take to get you off of of true worship? What would it take to, for you to have enough? Sometimes it's a big event. Sometimes it's a gradual dripping. Sometimes it's a last straw. <laughs> this is it. I, of all of the things that I've gone through, and now this, that is the last, absolute last But Jesus stayed faithful. He was resisted. He was molested. And as I've already told you, he was exhausted. He was totally spent. He had fasted for 40 days. How refreshed do you think he was? You know, our bellies drive us a lot. We have a hard time with our stomach growling. It's a tough thing to get from not only one meal to the next, but, but to let it stretch out an hour longer than it usually is, or two hours longer, or to skip a meal. It's, it's, it's hard to do. But when you've fasted, fasted for 12 hours, fasted for 24 hours, fasted for a week, when you fasted just not for any medical purpose, you, you fasted for a spiritual purpose and you said, I'm going to fast for this amount of time. When you come to the end of that fast, I'll tell you, really, regardless of how long that fast is, if it's any significance at all, you're very, very weak. And Jesus had fasted 40 days. He was at the point where most people fail, just completely exhausted. I have a nephew that runs those ultra marathons. You know what an ultra marathon is? He runs 100 miles. He'll run 50, 75. He ran an, an ultra marathon where there were runners and then there were people on horseback doing the exact same marathon. And he runs those marathons. I've, I've seen him... Uh, posted on online, and I've seen videos of him online, and, and he's about 42 years old, and he wins those things. But at the end, his feet are bleeding, his body is, is hurting, he's hungry, he is absolutely 100% exhausted. Well, Jesus was at a, a deeper place than this after 40 days of fasting. Jesus is at the place where my friend began to pray for dead presidents. <clears throat> There's a, a good Bible illustration of how a faithful servant of God responded to pressure simply because he became exhausted. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. <clears throat> the servant of God is, is a man named Elijah. The players are, are Ahab, <clears throat> Jezebel, and Elijah. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid 
And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked what he might, that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Now take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Now this is kind of a pitiful scene, and it comes right after a tremendous victory. Remember I told you that testings oftentimes come after big victories? It comes after a tremendous victory that uh, Elijah had given to God at the time of the prophets of Baal. The Lord revealed to Elijah that the drought was about to end, and he informed King Ahab, the husband of the famous Jezebel. And on foot, Elijah outran Ahab, traveling by chariot to Jezreel, a distance of about 10 miles, or a 15K. And immediately he was informed that Jezebel is going to kill him. So he did not uh, wait around and, and to see if Jezebel was going to try to kill him. He didn't fear the prophets, but Jezebel was a little scary to him, especially after running for 10 miles. And so by the time uh, he got that news, he took off running again. And when he reached the shade tree in the wilderness, he no longer wanted to live. He said, I'm just done. I'm spent. Kill me now, Lord. I'm done. Now you've got to understand it was just a few hours earlier, he had victory over the prophets of Baal. That he had called down a consuming fire on a, a sacrifice that had been soaked with water and a ditch all around it, and it, it burned up, the, he called down fire that burned the sacrifice and all the prophets of Baal. And now a few hours later, he's sitting under a, a juniper tree and He's saying, God, could you just kill me? Could you just take me away? I share this to remind us of how faithful Jesus was, even though he was completely exhausted. Now, this tells me two things. First, I should, try to make, should not try to make big spiritual decisions in a state of exhaustion. Boy, there are a lot of people that make spiritual decisions terrible spiritual decisions in a state of mental, physical, emotional exhaustion. That's just not a good time to do anything. There are a lot of people, they have trouble in their lives, they have cares in their lives, they lose their job, they, their family explodes, all kinds of things happen, and here's what they say, I just don't feel like going to church. I just don't feel like praying. I just don't feel like trying to serve God right now. I am just totally exhausted. I think I'll just quit for a while. Terrible time to make a spiritual decision. Terrible, terrible. <clears throat> Secondly, it's vital for anybody who wants to please the Lord to take care of them, themselves, to take care of their own bodies, to properly serve Him. Now, I'm, I'm not an illustration of somebody taking care of their own body, but I, I'll tell you this. <clears throat> Several years ago, I realized that taking care of Randy was part of the ministry. I realized that. 
I realized that I had to take care of me or I wouldn't last long enough to preach to you. So I set out to, to do certain things to take better care of myself. In my family, there's a history of high blood pressure. There's a history of heart disease. There's a history of being fat, real fat. I have a cousin who weighs over 500 pounds. He's bigger than a piano. He's a giant. I can understand that. I want to tell you something. I could eat myself down the cookie aisle at Publix. I just could. When you get tired, Pastor Ray, sure, I'd take a nap. Wait back up and eat myself down the rest of the cookie aisle. But there came a time where I, I just realized, you know, I'm going to have to take better care of myself. I'm so glad that my, uh, my doctor's a member of our church, and uh, he keeps a good eye on me as well. There's two things to learn from, from this. First of all, don't make spiritual decisions or try not to make spiritual decisions when you're completely exhausted, and second, take care of yourself. Here's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, within you, whom you love from God or have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Part of our worship is the platform of our worship. Jesus was the perfect God-man and was able to stay faithful to the Father even though he was exhausted. Not many of us are that strong physically or, or emotionally or spiritually. So Jesus was true to worship. He remained focused. He remained faithful. Let me give you one more thing. He was fixed on it. Jesus was just absolutely fixed on worshiping the Father. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Have you ever heard it said that everybody's got their price? You ever heard that? Everybody's got their price. They'll say, well, so-and-so, they can't be bought. Another person said, oh, yeah, they can. Everyone has their price. Everybody is for sale. Everybody can be bought. That's the way a lot of people think. But is it true? Is it true that everyone can be bought? I hope it isn't true for you or me, but I know it's not true for Jesus Christ. He couldn't be bought. After playing to his flesh, then his psychological condition, now Satan tries to to buy Jesus. And what was the price? Well, the offer to the man Christ Jesus is the kingdom of the world, which is ironic when you think that God, the God Christ Jesus, made the heaven and the earth, And without him was not anything made that was made. 
That's what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word is the living Word. That's Jesus Christ. But Satan said, I'll offer you everything. Now, why could he do that? Well, because he has some dominion over part of the earth. But to give it to you or me is not within his power. But this is what he offered Jesus. He said, look, let me give you this. Let me make you this offer. And so he tried to to bribe him with the price of what he could be bought for. He tried to attack his, his purity. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, <clears throat> for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 to Satan, and he does so with conviction. Jesus proved that the worship of the true and living God can be protected from all attacks of the wicked one. You can stay focused on the Lord. You can stay worshipful to God. You can, regardless of what happens, you can. Why, Pastor Ray, because you've done so? No, because Jesus did so, and he's our example. So we can stay with it. There's a great falling away today in the church. There's a great falling away today in Christianity. There's numbers and numbers of people who have just removed the weekly worship of God in the house of God with the people of God from their lives. There's just a falling away. But we can and should stay faithful to worship and focused on worship and fixed on worship. Finally, when Jesus was successful in resisting Satan, guess what happened? The peace came. Sure it did. In verse 4, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The peace came. James gave us these words of confidence about resisting the devil and finding peace. He said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's an interesting thing. We're not to be spotted by the world. We're to run from the flesh. We're to resist the devil. Now when we're dealing with matters of flesh, you have to run from it. I go back to my food illustration. Earlier this week, Mrs. Ray made some peanut butter cookies. They're my second favorite cookie. She made some peanut butter cookies. They worried me to death. They were there. They were like a little devil sitting on my shoulder in the shape of a peanut butter cookie. I would be studying the Bible, preparing for a sermon. In fact, my sermon next Sunday will have a little peanut butter cookie in it because I was studying and my flesh thought about those peanut butter cookies. And I knew that the only way 
to overcome those peanut butter cookies was to get them out of the house. And so I ate all of them. <laughs> they no longer tempt me. You have to run from the flesh. You either run to it or from it. <clears throat> but you can resist the devil. You can tell the devil, leave me alone. You can call on God to make Satan leave you alone. You can say to God, Lord, put Satan behind me. Put him out of out of reach. Get him away from me. He's trying to discourage me. You're not going to win this one. I will worship and stay true to God. You can push him away. And you know what the Bible says? Resist him and he'll flee from you. He's like that red-headed kid on Christmas story. You remember the bully with the furry hat on Christmas story? that broke the little kid's glasses and the little kid had had enough and he jumped on top of that red-headed bully and he absolutely laid into him and the little bully got up and he took off running and crying. Do you remember that? I hate to call that little boy Satan, but he's a picture of how we ought to be able to handle Satan. Do you want to worship the true and living God. Do you really want to worship? Well, then, then I'll tell you what let's do. <clears throat> let's do this. Let's take some tremendous strides toward it. And let's not have a price that will buy us out of worship. <clears throat> let's, not, let's not have anything that will attack our purity and keep us from worship. Let us resist Satan and find enough peace to worship the true and living God. And not just come into the house of God to worship today, but leave the house of God in worship today. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.